But I feel like I have to make a confession before I get into my message. Um, I, I used to work construction. I like to work with my hands. Anybody like to work with their hands in here? A couple of you in here? You know, it's, it's something good. I don't feel like that's what I have to confess. What I have to confess, and please bear with me, is sometimes I watch HGTV. And I don't feel great about that, but um, I do. And, you know, I love to watch those shows. There's a show I've been watching right now. My kids and my wife, they think I'm nuts. Uh, it's a show called Restored. And, and in this show, all they do is they find these old houses from the, you know, early 1900s. And they've become a little messed up over the years. People, and they go back in and they just restore them. They put in brand new kitchens and all this stuff. And I'm watching, I'm like, that's amazing. I have an old house. So it just excites me to think like, hey, I can't afford that, but that's really cool. That's, you know. Really fun to watch. But not just HGTV. I mean, I just love restoration. The idea of, of restoring things. I love restoring old cars, all that kind of stuff. It just really excites me to see uh, things that were gone being brought back and, and just the, the real beauty behind all of that. Um, and, and I just thought about that a lot kind of in my own life. Like, why is that something that excites me so much? And, and, and really, it plays its hand as well into my pursuit of Jesus and my desire uh, in ministry to see rebuilding and restoration within the church. And, and that's what I really wanted to focus on in this next couple of weeks in a series that's called The Rebuild. And, and really, how important it is, because I really feel like as, as we look around the world today, the church has become kind of diminished in our world. Would you, would you agree? You know, it's become pretty common. Uh, you know, we, we don't even really get that upset about it anymore to hear about a church that's closing its doors. You know, hey, this church had their last service on this date. They're closing their doors. This church over here, they're closing their doors. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of things that have come to place and, and play there. But we, we're in a place where the church needs a rebuild. We need a restoration because Jesus said about his church, man, I don't know if you know this, but he said that his church would be built upon the promise of God and that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. That means that nothing the enemy tries to bring against God's church was going to win or succeed. And, and when we look around the world today and we're kind of watching, we're like, well, I don't know if that's really the case of what's taking place, what's happening. We talked about this a little bit last week and how the need for us to come back to that place of needing, you know, the spiritual gifts and the spirit of God to move, the power of God to move. And, and we'll talk about that a little bit. But I want to take you back through some history into the Old Testament um, you know, there are people who think that the Old Testament, you just can't learn anything from it. Uh, but there are some amazing truths, nuggets, and, and things that God did in the Old Testament that are so awesome to study. And I really encourage you, you know, to get into those and read Israel's history. But I want to look at a time period in which the temple was in need of restoration. And, and so just to kind of give you a brief history here, you know, the first temple was built like around 1000 BC. Please make sure you remember in all these dates, there's going to be a test at the end, okay? So about 1000 BC, around 627 BC, Jeremiah comes on the scene and he starts telling the people of Israel, he's like, you know what, you've abandoned God, you're no longer following him, you're worshiping idols, you've put other things ahead of God, you're going to have to go into a captivity. About 40 years later, 586 BC, you count down because it's BC, you know? Uh, 586 BC, a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, fun to say, and if it's too hard, just say Nebi. Uh, king Nebuchadnezzar sends his army, and they go in, and they totally wipe out Israel. And the entire city is burned to the ground. The walls are destroyed, the temple is destroyed, and the people are carried away into captivity. And, and it's exactly what God prophesied 40 years earlier through the prophet Jeremiah. And it's, these are the things that took place. And then about 40 years later after that, there was a generation of people that said, listen, 
God is the most powerful thing in all of the world. We as his people should represent that power to the world. And here we are, a broken people group with no home, no temple, and nothing that displays the glory of God. And, and that, that just kind of just didn't sit right with them. They're like, well, there has to be something more to this. And this is what I want to look at this morning because I think it speaks a lot to us because we're going to need to get that same heart in, in what it means to restore the church of God, what it means to restore the things of God that he wants to build. Uh, I really believe this, and I'm not just saying this uh, to get you know, us all excited, but I really do believe this, that the best days of the church are still ahead. They don't have to be behind us. All right, and, and I think that there's almost a tempt, well, the church just isn't what it used to be. People don't care about God like they used to, and church doesn't matter, and we just do all kinds. Of, I really believe that the best days can be ahead of us, but we need a restoration. We need a rebuild to get to the place where God wants us to be. So I'm going to go to the book of Ezra, uh, and if you have a Bible, you can follow along with us. If you don't, there are Bibles in the pews. You can read those, um, and they'll be exactly what I'm reading in the New Living Translation. But I want to start here by looking at this collective attitude. What happened that drew these people to make them ready to go back and say, we're going to rebuild the temple? So in Ezra 1, verses 5 through 8, and then we'll read 10 through 13, it says this. <clears throat> God stirred the hearts of the priests and the Levites and the leaders of the tribes of Judah and Benjamin to go to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple of the Lord. And all their neighbors assisted by giving them articles of silver and gold, supplies for the journey, and livestock. They gave them many valuable gifts in addition to all the voluntary offerings. King Cyrus himself brought out the articles that King Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the Lord's temple in Jerusalem and placed in the temple of his own gods. Cyrus directed Mithridath, the treasurer of Persia, to count these items and present them to Sheshbazar, the leader of the exiles returning to Judah. When the builders completed the foundation of the Lord's temple, the priests put on their robes and took their place to blow their trumpets, and the Levites, the descendants of Asaph, clashed their cymbals to praise the Lord, just as King David had prescribed. With praise and thanks, they sang this song. He is good. His faithful love for Israel endures forever. Then all the people gave a great, sh a great shout, praising the Lord, because the foundation of the Lord's temple had been laid. But many of the older priests, Levites, and other leaders who had seen the first temple wept aloud when they saw the new temple's foundation. The others, however, were shouting with joy. So there's just this moment, and, and, and I think it speaks a lot to where we are as, as a church. And, and when I say church, I don't just mean family life church, I mean the global church, the, the followers of Jesus Christ. It really speaks to this, this moment, this place that we're at and the need for rebuilding. And, and, and here's the thing that took place then and I think is taking place now. There were two different generational approaches to what was taking place. And we see this back in Ezra. We got this young generation, right? And, and they're like, we're going back to Israel. We're going to see God restore what was lost. We're going to rebuild the temple. Look at all the great things like the king's giving us our stuff back. And even our neighbors who are not, they don't, they're not Jews. They don't believe in God. They're giving us gold and silver. And we're going to go rebuild this temple. And they go to the city and it's all miraculous. And they lay a foundation. And they're, they're looking at it. And I don't, how many of you have ever seen a foundation before? Okay, it's like this tall. Okay, so... There's a foundation that's laying on the ground 
of the temple that's about to be built. It's an outline, if you will. And they're so excited that they stand around and they're like, let's put on our robes, let's blast the trumpet, let's clang the cymbals, let's shout with praise for God, right? So they're so excited. This young generation that sees this new beginning is so excited. But then there's this other generation. The generation that had been in the temple before it was lost. The generation that had seen the power of God and the way that he had moved when Israel was being built. Listen, the first temple, and you can go back and read it in Chronicles and Among the Kings, there was so much gold in this place that when you went into the bathroom, when you went to flush the toilet, the handle, it was 24 karat solid gold. All right, that's how much gold was in the temple. They just did everything. And you can read about it. They're like, let's get this really expensive wood. We'll carve really beautiful, ornate stuff in it, and then we'll cover it with gold. Then let's go over here, and we'll make this thing, and we'll make it. It's going to be absolutely beautiful, and let's just cover it with gold. And all the tissue boxes will be covered with gold. All the tissues will be gold. We'll just wipe our noses with gold. That's what we'll do. Because God is so powerful and so impressive. He is provided with so many things. So you have this generation that remembers looking at the temple, seeing it in all of its glory, and how it reflected the glory of God. And they're standing next to a young generation that is looking at an outline on the ground and giving God praise. And the two of them are just like, what? What do you mean? How can you be excited about this on the ground? It's just rocks. We lost the temple. We lost what God had given to us. And I look at this, and, and, and here's what the reality is. It's a collision of hope and loss that hit at the very same time in that, that time period. And I think there's a reality of that today. You know, we, we're in a place culturally where we want everything new, right? How many of you have ever had a new car? The new car smell, right? Come on. My wife hates that smell. We've had a couple new cars. I'm not kidding you. She just like wants the windows rolled down because she can't wait for that smell to be out of the car. I'm just like, what is wrong with you? Coincidentally, just, just a side note, if you'd ever like the new car smell to return to your car, take a brand new tire and just sit it in your car and leave it in the sun and it will smell like a brand new car again, okay? Just, just so you know. But my wife hates that smell, literally makes her sick. But, you know, brand new house, right? Nothing like, oh man, this brand new house, new construction, it's turnkey, there's no problems. The new house, new clothes, new music, new cars, new computers, new iPads, new phones, everything. We just want the latest, newest, newest, greatest things all the time. And, and can we be honest? There's a portion of this that bleeds into the church. We want the newest of all things, right? We want the, the, the we want screens on every wall and and we want all these different things we want it to be changed and new and flashy and new and and all these things now there's nothing wrong with the new things don't don't get me wrong okay but here's the reality in order for us to find balance in the rebuild for what God wants to do in his church we're going to have to get the two to work together because there are some things that it's fantastic that might become new but can I can I just be honest with you there are a lot of things from the old that we better not lose in the process we better not lose the power of God moving in the process. We better not lose being a house of prayer. We better not lose being a people of true worship. We better not lose being a people of righteousness. And if we don't have that one generation that's anchoring us to, whoa, 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 let's not go too far into just turning ourselves into a social organization where we get a pastor who gets up and he says a little message that makes people feel good and then we all go home and we clap and we say, that was church. Church, we need to understand that what God wants to build is not just for this moment, this time, this place, but it's really supposed to be something that lasts into the future until the time that God comes back. And if we're not careful, what would the church look like? 
If, if it was just like, let's make everything new. Let's throw out anything that, that might be old, right? Because that's where we're at right now. Is, and culturally, we're seeing it play out on many levels. And don't get me wrong, there are old things I don't want anymore. I don't want to wear a suit and tie. I don't want to. Can I ask you for a promise? If you are at my funeral, and they have me in a casket in a suit and tie, you get your butt up there, and you take that tie off my neck, and you open my top button. All right? Don't you dare let somebody bury me in a suit and tie, okay? Not happening. I don't want to go back to that. But, but listen, there are things that matter and there are things that don't. The way we dress is not super important. It's really, there are things that are not of, of great significance. But there's a collision here because, yes, we need to remain hopeful for the future of what God wants to build. But we also have to remain connected to what God has done in the past because it anchors us to how he wants to build into the future. What are we building and what are we building on is going to be a really big question. Who knows what the church could look like in 20, 30, 40 years. Listen, did you ever think that we would see churches at this point in time that are affirming things that are absolutely against the Word of God? That They're saying, no, that's okay, it's fine, do that. Jesus loves you and He's accepting of you. And, and, and yes, Jesus does love you, but He does not accept sin. He's so clear about this in Scripture. But we're, that's where we're at. Where are we going to be in 30 years if not for some kind of restoration, some kind of rebuild, where we get back to the basics, the needs of what God wants to do among his church? I've got to be honest with you. I look around the world, I don't know if we have 30 or 40 years before Jesus comes back. I really don't. There are so many things, and I, I don't often encourage people to read the book of Revelation. It's very difficult to understand. But there are a lot of things that have already happened that have been prophesied for the end that are already happening. They're like, it's, an, it's astounding. And things that I remember reading as a kid that they're saying, this is going to happen before the end. And I'm like, how could that ever happen? Now I'm just like, that could happen tomorrow. Like, and people wouldn't bat an eye. Church, we need to be understanding there, there's a work to be done here. And when there's work to be done, there's another thing that happens. I want to show you this. This is Ezra chapter 4, verse 1, and then we'll read 5 and 6 and verse 23. Here's what happens when we start to do the work of God. All right, every time. This is what Ezra experienced. This is what the Israelites experienced. It says, The enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the exiles were building a temple to the Lord, the God of Israel. Then go down to verses 4, 5, and 6. The local residents tried to discourage and frighten the people of Judah to keep them from their work. They bribed agents to work against them and to frustrate their plans. Years later, when Xerxes began his reign, the enemies of Judah wrote a letter of accusation against the people of, of Judah and Jerusalem. Then down to verse 23, what happened after the king got that letter, when this letter from King Artaxerxes was read to Rahum, Shimshi, and their colleagues, they hurried to Jerusalem. Then, with a show of strength, they forced the Jews to stop building. Stop building. Let it be. Stop trying to make it better. Stop trying to put it back. Let it go. Let it be part of the past. Let it be done. Let it be gone. Listen, church, we, we can agree on anything that collectively as a culture, we're watching a time and place where our world does not want the church to grow and build and expand. They do not want the church, they do not want the message of the Bible, the message of the gospel to be advanced because the message is that of morality and integrity and humility and devotion to a God who created everything. And the last thing that they want is to have to hear, I need to live a certain way, I have to act a certain way. They'll jump in that same camp of like, God just wants to ruin my good time and all he cares about is my money. 
Church, that's not what God has called us to build, and there's opposition to the things that we're doing. How do we face that opposition? How do we respond to that opposition to God's work? Post on Facebook, that'll fix it. If that doesn't work, make a reel. You know, several reels, well-placed, that that could fix everything, right? What is it going to take to come against the opposition? And this is this, this reality that the work is worth the effort, We'll we'll later get into this in this series, but in the book of Nehemiah, they're rebuilding the wall, and the same thing takes place. They're trying to rebuild the wall. There's opposition coming in, and Nehemiah gets on his knees and he prays, God, strengthen our hands for the work that has to be done. Strengthen our hands, God, because it's a work that's so far beyond us. It's going to take more than we can understand right now. It is hard, but we can't allow the opposition of what's taking place to defeat us and destroy us. And please hear me, and I, I, I know this is a struggle bust for some people. Listen, the opposition to the church, the opposition and the way forward, it's not going to be won politically. Please hear me in that. We, we, we're hanging way too much on It's going to be won through prayer. It's going to be won through fasting. It's going to be won through recommitting our hearts and lives to Jesus. It's going to be won through revival. Those are the things that are going to change the world around us. We've created enemies in our opposition and lost sight of the fact that our real enemy is Satan. It's not our neighbors. It's not your friends. It's not your coworkers. It's not people who are in a different political party than you or who have a different skin color than you. It is Satan who wants to rob and destroy and kill the plans of what God has in store. He's been doing it since the beginning of time. Ezra and Nehemiah, they experienced the same thing in church as God is calling us to rebuild the church. We're going to see opposition. There are people who are not going to want to see the church advancing. But here's the part that we must hold on to. It is absolutely necessary. Why? Because you've got neighbors and friends and family members and co-workers who do not know Jesus. They stopped building the temple. They just ceased. 20 years go by. And they're still not building the temple. And then a man by the name of Haggai, a prophet of God, comes along and he gives a message to the Israelites. And I want to read this for you because it's really an important perspective for us to get a hold of. Haggai chapter 1, verses 2 through 6, he comes and he speaks to the Israelites. And he, he, this is what he says to them. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says. These people are saying, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the Lord sent this message through the prophet Haggai. Why are you living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins? This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. You have planted much, but you harvest little. You eat, but are not satisfied. You drink, but are still thirsty. Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. Does that sound familiar to anybody? Like, look at the world around us today. If ever there was a picture of what it means to be insatiable, it's our Western American culture. We always want more, 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 bigger, 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 faster, brighter, quicker, whatever it takes, more, 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 more. And God's speaking to Israel in this very same kind of a mentality. You're building your own empires. 
You're building your own careers. You're building a business. You're building your families. You're investing in all these other places. You're giving time and space to all of these things that you have deemed important. But in the process, you've gotten to a place where you can eat and eat and you're just not satisfied. You walk up to your cupboard that's full from floor to ceiling and you go, we have nothing to eat. And you slam the doors. You drink, but you're not satisfied. You earn wages and you stick them in your pocket and it's like you got holes in your pocket. Like how can it be that four days after I got paid, I don't have enough money anymore? And God goes on to say this. It's because you stopped putting me first. You stopped putting me first. And every time we do that, church, there's a cost. Listen, God works through two different ways. First is this, his plan A, if you will. It's called humility. We humble ourselves. We come to God and we realize his plan for our lives. We realize the things that he's working and doing, the ways in which he wants to direct our steps, the ways in which he even wants to use us to reach a lost and dying world. Second is far more painful. It's called humiliation. When we reject God, when we turn from him, when we build our own empires and place him second, third, or fourth on our list, there's a price. You know, you hear us you know, in, a ch- in the church, and you, maybe you get sick of it just like Kevin was kind of joking about earlier. Man, why does this church talk about giving every single week? Can I tell you why? Because if you could capture the heart of generosity, God could do amazing things through you. It, it's not about your money. It really isn't. It sounds self-seeking, like this is a fundraiser. They're just trying to raise money for the church. I mean, yes, we got to pay light bills. I'm not going to lie to you. We have an electric bill just like you do. We got a water bill and we have pastors we got to pay. Yes, all of those things are real. But here's the reality. God is after your heart to fill it with a heart of generosity for your neighbors, for your family, for your enemies, for the people of your community. And if that heart of generosity could get inside of us, but there's no room. There's no room. I got to pay for this and buy this. And I got this debt and this debt and this debt and this debt. And I'm working 80 hours a week, but I got no money. God says, you want to know why? Because you stopped putting me first. You stopped putting me first. You're putting all the other stuff first. You know, when God was speaking to Moses and he was in the Ten Commandments, right? Everybody's heard of the Ten Commandments. The very first commandment that he gives to him is this. You need to know this, Moses. The Lord your God is a jealous God. And I will not allow you to have any other gods before me. I won't, I won't permit it. I won't allow it. I won't have anything to do with it. The number one thing on God's heart, and I'm not saying that the other Ten Commandments, like lying or murder or adultery, those things don't matter. But the number one thing that he said, first and foremost, right out the gate, you need to know that I'm either first or I'm nothing. I will not be second. I will not be third or fourth or fifth. I won't be a sometimes priority. I won't be a when it's convenient priority. I won't be a when you think about a priority. I must be first. And if I'm not first, then I'm, I'm nothing in your life. Here's where Israel was at. They go back and kind of like us, they forgot about the necessity of rebuilding the temple 
They started to build their own empires, their own careers, their own families, their own businesses. And God has to come to them and say, you keep saying that there's not a good time right now. It's not a good time. It's not a good time. It's not a good time. You're building all this other stuff for yourself and you're forgetting me. Church, you are the temple of God. And the rebuild of what God wants to do is not about this building. This might surprise you because it's like every time you come in here, it's like, oh, I can just feel the Lord's presence when I come in here. I come in here on Tuesday mornings at 7 a.m. You don't feel the Lord's presence. It's just an empty room. There's no lights on. Sometimes somebody's sitting up in there and they say hello to me and I jump out of my skin. It's just a room. Not starting a capital campaign. Hey, we're going to build an addition to the church. We're trying to raise money to do that. That's not what this is about. I would love for that to happen someday. I hope that God fills this place with so many people that we can't fit them in this room in three services. But here's the heart of what needs to be rebuilt, the foundation that needs to be relayed. We need a desperation for lost people. Not a worry, not a wonder, not a secondary thought, not an idea in our heads. It's like, yeah, there probably are a lot of people in the Shenango Valley who don't know Jesus. Yeah, I probably got coworkers who don't know Jesus. Church, if it's not keeping us awake at night, we're not realizing how severe it is. We're not realizing how severe it is. You have neighbors, coworkers, family members, friends that if Jesus came back today would enter into eternity without Jesus. And can I be honest, we've gotten a little too comfortable with that idea. We've settled. Because we've got a lot of other things going on. What time's the sermon going to be over, preacher? I got a roast in the oven. I got some, I'm meeting so-and-so for lunch. I got some place to be. Life group? Ah, I don't really have time for that. Playing basketball, baseball, softball, whatever we're doing. I'm not speaking against those things. And I know it's, well, are you yelling at me, preacher? I came to church today. I'm not, I'm not yelling at you. Believe me. But I sense in my own spirit and I feel the call to lead you to the same spot. We need a desperation for lost souls. A desperate, you know what that word means? We need a passion for lost souls. You know what that word means? The word passion literally means to suffer. To suffer. I'm so passionate about lost people, I'm willing to suffer so that somebody can know Jesus. I'm willing to give up something, sacrifice something, lay something down so that others can know Jesus. Church, that's the rebuild that God wants to do in our hearts. I don't know where you're at. I can't speak to where you're at on this, but I can speak to this guy. It's pretty easy for me to get focused on keeping our church as an organization running in the right direction. There's a lot of things to worry about and focus on and whatever. But if we're not careful, we could very easily outline a foundation much like they did in the Old Testament and stand around and celebrate it while forgetting 
that what really matters is being a house of prayer, a house of worship, the greatest evangelistic outreach the world has ever known, spreading the gospel, sharing the love of Jesus, and being so desperate for our neighbors and family members and friends and coworkers and even your enemies to know Jesus that we can't think of anything else. Church, that's the rebuild that God wants to do. And I believe that if we expect to see great things in store and ahead of us into the future, we're going to have to capture that heart. We're going to have to get a hold of that. And, and I'm not saying that flippantly. Listen, I love my toys. I love, my, I love football. I'll, I'll get to watch the Broncos lose today. It's going to be amazing. I'm going to love it. I don't know who the Steelers are playing, but whatever. Go have fun. All these things are, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with these things. I love to work on my car and ride my motorcycle. I love to go hunting and spend time. I'm not saying that these things are wrong, but please hear me. We need to get our hearts and minds focused on just how little time there is to reach a lost generation. Because from a biblical standpoint, Jesus could come back very soon. I don't want my neighbors, my next door neighbor, Brandon. I'm trying to love on him. I don't want Brandon to look at me and say, you didn't even tell me. You didn't, you didn't even tell me that Jesus was coming back and that I needed to have a relationship with him. Church, we need a desperation that only God can give us. Will you pray with me? God, we can see in your word that you are so desperate for the lost. So desperate for them that you sent your one and only son to die on the cross so that we could have relationship with you. And Lord, I just pray that you would begin to stir that same desperation inside of each of us. Lord, would you just begin to challenge the things of our lives that we're prioritizing ahead of you? If there's anything in the way, God, would you move it? Would you just cause it to crumble until you're the only thing that truly matters? God, would you fix our eyes on you? Would you help us? Give us the eyes to see. Take the blinders off of our eyes. Take the plugs out of our ears. Help us to see our neighbors and friends and family members and coworkers and to see that they don't know Jesus and to become so uncomfortable with that that we can't stand it. That whatever it takes, if it takes maybe embarrassing ourselves a little bit or making the, the situation uncomfortable, we just can't stop ourselves from telling them about Jesus and his love for them and his plan for their lives and his salvation. God, would you build a heart of desperation inside of us? Would you build a heart of desperation inside of us that is not content to play church, that is not just simply to look to build this new, bigger, brighter, prettier thing, but that is so deeply committed to you and the plans that you have to save this world? And we'd make any sacrifice necessary just so that one more could know Jesus, so that one more could know Jesus, one more family, one more community, one more child, one more teenager, one more senior, whatever it takes, God, so that people can know Jesus. Put that in our hearts, Lord. As we're in prayer, I just want to ask you if you're here and nobody's looking around, it's just you and the Lord. 
Take a moment of self-evaluation. Are you prioritizing God to the place where he truly belongs? Is he, does he really have the place in your life that he should? And if he doesn't, what are you willing to do to make that happen? What soul searching are you willing to do? What, what areas of your life are you willing to let God challenge until he's first? If you're here today and you'd say, I, I want God to be in the place in my heart and my life that he truly belongs. Could I just ask you to slip up a hand because I want to pray for you. Thank you. Yeah. Yep. Thank you. Can I ask you to stand as we close in prayer together? I would love to tell you that I can just say a simple prayer over you and you're going to be so on fire for lost people that your whole world will be revolutionized. God could do that, but here's what's realistically going to have to happen. When we leave here today, you're going to have to do some soul searching. You're going to have to pray a scary prayer. God, search me and see if there be anything inside of me that is not of you and take that away. That's a scary prayer. To hold everything in your life in your hands and say, God, if any of it's keeping me from putting you first, take it away. That's a scary prayer. But I believe this, that if you would do it, if you would hold those things openly and loosely and say, God, have your way in me, that he would do something amazing in your life. So God, I just pray right now for every one of us in this place. Holy Spirit, I just invite you. We invite you right now to just begin to convict our hearts and our lives. That you would begin to speak to anything in our lives that is pushing you out of the number one place where you belong. God, we need a rebuild. We need these temples of the Holy Spirit. Our hearts rebuilt, refashioned, a foundation laid that is solely and totally committed to Almighty God. Lord, forgive us for the things that we've put ahead of you. Forgive us if we've allowed anything else in this world to take a, a priority over you and the work that you've called us to do. God, would you begin, especially for those who raise their hand, but for all of us, God, would you begin to put a desperation in our hearts for lost souls? Let it keep us awake at night to think about our neighbors who don't know Jesus, our coworkers, our family members, our friends, whoever it is, God, that they don't know Jesus. God, may we become so uncomfortable with that that we are moved to change and to be your representation to this entire world. God, we lift the Shenango Valley up before you. This is where you called us. You gave us an anointing to reach the Shenango Valley. And I ask you in Jesus' name to fill our hearts with desperation for those who do not know Jesus. That we would not accept that that's just what they've decided and that's just the way they're going to live. But that we would go after them just as you do with that same veracity, God. Your passionate heart for the lost. Give that to us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Church, listen, as you go today, don't forget, soul search. Seek God, ask him, lay out everything you've got. God, whatever it is, 
I want to glorify you. I want you to be number one. Our prayer team will be up here at the front and would love to pray with you if you need any prayer today. But Lord bless you. Have a wonderful day in Jesus. Make him first, most, and best in your life.